everyone, and welcome to the 34 Circe Salon, Make Matriarchy Great Again. I am here with my co-host, Kimberly Rockwell. Hello, happy to be here. And I am Don Sam Alden. Welcome, welcome to uh, the first episode of Being a Bad Martha we've done in a while. Um, it's been a while, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to it with our topic today, which is gossip. Gossip, it has a bad rap. Also called talking behind people's backs, chit-chat, yakking, getting the scuttlebutt, gabbing, dishing, chewing the fat, hearing it through the grapevine, getting it from the horse's mouth, tongue-wagging. It's, uh, it was called by Ann Landers in her advice column, the faceless demon that breaks hearts and ruins careers. Uh, the Talmud describes it as a three-pronged tongue that kills three people, the talker, the listener, and the person talked about. And uh, the Christian Bible warns that gossip can separate close friends and that anyone spreading slander is a fool. A fool. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so how did gossip get such a bad rap, right? Because it's not, it's actually scientifically, anthropologically more positive than negative, which I was pleasantly surprised to find when I did the research. So a quick uh, explanatory comma, we are talking about sharing true information, not spreading lies. Gof gossip is often conflated with lying, as uh, Kimberly, you found out in a lot of your research. Yes, that but, is true. Um, yeah, but we're talking about gossip defined as talk between at least two people about absent others. And that accounts for two-thirds of human conversation. Uh, despite the fact that the word is deeply gendered as female, men and women engage in the same amount of gossip. Developmentally, children are seasoned gossips by the age of five. Now, a little, as little as, there's actually more positive gossip or pro-social gossip, as it's often called, then there is negative gossip and a whole lot of neutral gossip. Um, studies say, different studies vary in amounts, but um, studies say that as little as 3% and possibly up to 15% um, of gossip is actually mean gossip, malicious gossip, but that even that can serve to have a positive effect on the two people that are talking. Because if two people talk negatively about a third, they feel closer to each other than if they had both felt positively about the third person. That's interesting. Um, gossip can actually even reform some negative behavior. It means having a, a pro-social effect. And it uses peer pressure and shunning to stop negative behavior. Um, researchers at Stanford and UC Berkeley found that once people were ostracized from a group due to reputed selfishness, they will actually reform their behavior. They'll change their ways in order to try to get back into the group to gain the approval of the people that they have now alienated with their bad behavior. So it's a powerful tool for reforming people who behave badly <laughs> yes. in groups. Yes. 
One Dutch study showed that hearing gossip about others made research subjects more reflective. So it sort of caused them to think about their own behavior when they heard other people talked about. Or probably even hearing themselves talked about. Um, A 2021 Dartmouth study published in Current Biology concluded that gossip is a rich, multifaceted construct that plays a critical role in vicarious learning and social bonding. That sounds pretty positive. I think so. So uh, Robin Dunbar, who is an anthropologist and an evolutionary psychologist, she argues that gossip has taken the place of grooming as a social bonding activity. So, you know, we used to sit around in groups and get the fleas out of each other's fur. But as hominids grew more intelligent and more social, the groups became too large to stay united just by the physical activity of grooming alone. Gossip gave early humans that sense of shared identity and helped them grow more aware of their environment. You know, like, don't go over there. There's a sand pit that you can fall into. Um, And this incubated our complex higher functioning. It also allowed them uh, to spread valuable information to larger social networks. She says in a 2003 paper published in the Review of General Psychology, quote, Were we not able to engage in discussions of these social and personal issues, we would not be able to sustain the kinds of societies that we do, end quote. Um, Another theory says that humans actually developed gossip to facilitate cooperation in a group. And as you were saying before about the bonding activity for larger groups, how else would we warn each other about people who might be a danger within the society? I think, I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely go into that more later. Gossip helps people learn from others' experiences, enhances cultural learning and exchanges information. Again, that neutral gossip, it's not positive or negative. It's just, here's some information that, you know, you might want. Excellent. In a 2015 study published in Social Neuroscience, scientists looked at brain imaging of men and women as they heard positive and negative gossip about themselves, their best friends, and celebrities. People hearing gossip, both the good gossip and the bad gossip, about themselves, as well as negative gossip in general, showed more activity in the prefrontal cortex of their brains, which is key to our ability to navigate complex social behaviors. Um, the study also found that the caudate nucleus, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, <laughs> that's the reward center of the brain, was activated in response to negative gossip about celebrities. Subjects seem to be amused or entertained by salacious celebrity scandals. Like the recent Johnny Depp divorce, Amber Heard uh, big court case. I actually worked so hard to avoid engaging any of myself in that thinking, well, this is somebody else's private business. I don't, I don't want to sink to that level, but I found myself sucked into it anyway. I couldn't, it's, I couldn't avoid it. If you're on social media, it's there, but I found Mm. myself really engaging and I was trying to think why, why am I involving myself and why do I care? But I realized that we use celebrities as kind of a social um, 
flagship for where we want to be or where we don't want to be. So many mm. celebrities become the voice of our culture. They're they're often leading in progressive ideas and in helping to um, helping those who are voiceless to have voices. So we look to those celebrities to how should I behave? What should I be doing? Obviously, we don't want to be doing what Johnny Depp and Amber Heard were doing. Right. But, <laughs> but even knowing what we don't want to do is valuable to us. And that's why we talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And as this study shows, you get a little boost, you get a little pleasure response when you talk about how we don't want to be like those famous people that, you know, are behaving badly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Negative, you know, negative, uh, better to be a, a you know, if you can't be a positive influence, be a, a bad example, you know, that kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, a 2012 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology found that when subjects heard about another person's antisocial behavior or an injustice, their heart rates increased. Mm. But when they were able to actively gossip about the person or the situation, on the other hand, it soothed them and brought their heart rates down. The act of gossiping, therefore, helps to calm the body. It's a form of processing. Yeah, yeah. And a form of uh, catharsis. Excellent. Another, yeah, we t- we're, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But, um, but yeah, like the act of release, the act of being able to talk about it is a form of release and can help calm our nervous systems. Uh, another Stanford experiment, the participants who witnessed somebody behaving badly felt relieved once they warned other people about the bad person and their bad behavior. Nice. Yeah. There's that pro-social gossip again. Exactly. And last one, sorry, we're nailing all our listeners with all of this science, but I just found it so fascinating. It is. Um, In a 2014 study, researchers found that while negative gossip made the listener feel superior to the person being gossiped about, thus boosting their own self-esteem, it also made the listener feel more vulnerable to similar treatment. So hearing someone being talked about badly, although it makes you feel better about yourself, it also makes you realize that there might be talk out there about you of a similar nature. Meanwhile, listening to flattering gossip gave the listeners ideas about how to improve themselves so that they could be more like the person being gossiped about. So both a, you know, a negative reinforcement and a positive reinforcement come from this, from gossiping. It's social conditioning for good or for bad. For good or for bad. Yeah. Yeah. So how did we get this view of gossip as lies, as destroying friendships, as all of these negative things, when it looks like the science is saying the exact opposite. So we did some history, we did some, uh, we did some research on the history of gossip, because both Kimberly and myself, we, you know, and you can agree or disagree with this, but I think it's pretty true that we both are kind of research nerds. (laughs) Yes, it's true. So, you know, whenever I'm curious about something, I hit the books, like the internet. For, yeah. Um, okay, so going all the way back to ancient Athens, 
gossip was actually used as the, a primary source of evidence in court. So rather than facts, which, you know, today, just the facts, ma'am, um, in ancient Athens, what people said was crucial evidence. Um, the word, our current word gossip is derived from the old English word god sib, which meant a godparent or one who was charged with a child's spiritual mentorship. So sort of godparent mm. um, as we currently use it. Um, it evolved then to mean companions in birth, i.e. those who were involved in the birth of the child. And because at that time, birthing rooms were entirely female, they were uh, the domain of women and men were not welcome there. Um, so it came to mean women friends, you know, the people that you would invite to a birth, your close women friends. Um, so a lot of the, the, the tarnishing of the word happened during the Middle Ages. And as Kimberly probably knows, this is, this is one of my favorite eras or not favorite, but I find it the most fascinating because so much change um, was sort of forced on specifically European. I'm very Eurocentric in this and I apologize for that. Um, but so much change happened in European society during the Middle Ages. And uh, at the beginning of the Middle Ages, women had still quite a bit of power um, in personal spheres. They had, um, they had greater legal status, they had greater autonomy, and there were these specific centers that were um, considered centers of, of female power and influence, where where men's input was not welcome and not, you know, not um, valued. Uh, likewise, you know, there were centers of, of primarily male power that, you know, sort of the things men do and the things women do um, were separate and largely, largely equal. But during the Middle Ages, through the, um, through the influence of the church, um, largely, but also through broader society, there was this consolidation of male power. And the sort of cherry on the top of the shit Sunday was the Enlightenment, um, which sort of brought all of these ancient Greek and very misogynistic ideas into European society, elevated men as semi-divine, and castigated and denigrated women. Um, and, you know, in various episodes on this podcast, we've talked about how the influence of ancient Greece and Rome, um, how horribly misogynistic um, ancient Greece and Rome were. And you don't really get that <laughs> in, uh, in our, you know, school educations we only see like the amazing artwork and the philosophy and the science and all that sort of thing but we don't realize that a lot of that quote-unquote improvement um was uh was brought about um hand in hand with the destruction of um not only 
a physical destruction of women's lives with the witch burnings, but also um, a destruction of any status, influence, personal power, and autonomy that they may have had in society. So there's my little soapbox. I'm going to step off of that. Sorry about that, Kimberly. <laughs> no, preach on, sister. <laughs> so um, obviously attaching a denigrating meaning to the term gossip indicate when it indicated friendship among women served to destroy female sociality that had really prevailed in the Middle Ages when most of the activities women performed were of a collective nature with other women. And especially in the lower classes, women often formed tight-knit communities that were the source of a great deal of social and personal strength. Um, the representation of women as strong, self-asserting figures uh, also captured the nature of gender relations at the time, for neither in rural nor urban areas were women dependent on men for their survival. They had their own activities. They shared much of their lives and work with other women. Women cooperated with each other in many aspects of their life. They sewed, they washed their clothes, they gave birth surrounding by other surrounded by other women with men specifically, as I mentioned before, rigorously excluded from the chamber of childbirth. Their legal status reflected this greater autonomy. Um, in Italy, for example, in the 14th century, they would go independently to court to denounce a man if he had assaulted or molested them. I think also of like Chaucer and um, uh, the, the tales of Chaucer, how women were present as storytellers, as independent figures mm. that are sort of moving their own stories forward. Um, there was clearly a much greater scope of life that women had in the early Middle Ages. Um, so enter the mystery plays. Mm. And... Um, you know, if you have anything, uh, any uh, thing to add on this, Kimberly, please feel free to jump in. Um, but the mystery plays were uh, mostly a product of guild members. So the guilds were sort of consolidating power at that time in the Middle Ages. And one of the things that the guilds were doing was trying to... Um, trying to sort of capture the market so that only people who were part of the guilds could do the thing that they were doing. So like leatherworking could only be done by the guild members of the leatherworkers. And if you tried to set up shop as a leatherworker and you were not a guild member, um, oftentimes violence was, you know, was the answer or uh, you would be driven out of business. Um, or, you know, as the guilds became more and more powerful, it became illegal. You just couldn't do it. So one of the things, of course, that the guilds wanted to do was exclude women mm -hmm. because it, you know, consolidated power with fewer people. So the guilds often created and financed these mystery plays. They were the patrons of these mystery plays. And so the mystery plays, because they were the creations of these guild members would often and um, invariably, I should say, would um, be speaking the values that the guild members were trying to, trying to spread. 
they also boosted the social standing of the individual guild members in the local power structure. Being a patron of the arts um, in many cultures is often um, synonymous with uh, raising your stature in the society. These mystery plays were, of course, critical of strong, independent women and especially of their relations to their husbands, to whom the accusation went, they preferred their friends. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they got their panties in a bunch because women apparently preferred their friends to their husbands. I wonder why. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I wonder why. Um, So in these mystery plays, a gossip was another woman to which where there was a strong attachment, a strong bond between these women. Um, An example of this, which I absolutely loved, uh, the Chester cycle, which was a cycle of mystery plays. Um, In one of these plays, Noah of the Ark fame um, is urging people and animals to get on the Ark. And his wife is sitting in the tavern with her gossips and refuses to leave when he calls for her, even as the waters are rising, quote, unless she is allowed to take her gossips with her. So she replies to, to Noah, yes, sir, set up your sail and row forth with evil hail, for without fail, I will not out of this town, but I have my gossips, every one. One foot further, I will not go. They will not drown by St. John, and I may save their lives. They love me full well by Christ. If you let them into your boat, otherwise row now where you like and get yourself a new wife. So she is choosing her friends over her husband um, and basically says, you know, I'd rather die with them than live with you without them. And uh, the play ends... Uh, the play ends that scene with a physical fight in which the wife beats the husband. (sighs) And that was, yeah, that was a common um, sort of theme to indicate how bad women were is that they were upsetting the social order, right? Um, The representation of women were often chastised and represented as quarrelsome aggressive, ready to give battle to their husbands, <laughs> a.k.a. standing up for themselves. <laughs> uh, typical of this trend was the representation of the battle for the breaches where the woman appeared as the dominatrix, whipping her husband, straddling across his back, riding him like a horse in reversal of the roles that were clearly intended to shame men for allowing their wives to be on top, Right. Yeah, we love we love yeah. to say that art imitates life, but really art directs life and the public opinion. And the more they could put this kind of mythology out there, the more men would start looking at their own wives suspiciously and looking at the groups of women that their wives were spending time with as somehow a threat to the household and to their power. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, if it's an either or situation, as if it's an either or situation, right? As if a woman can't have a good relationship with her husband and her friends at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that if you're spending time with them, then clearly that is time that you were talking badly about me or plotting against me or whatever. Um, there's uh, the meetings of gossips in taverns, which was 
a place where um, middle and lower class women would go to sit with their friends and drink and talk. You know, we think about bars today as kind of the the domain of men where you can sit as a single man at a bar and be okay. But if you sit as a single woman at a bar, you know, you're going to get hit on constantly. It's, it's, it's this idea that the space belongs to men. Mm-hmm. But back in the Middle Ages, it was a social gathering place for men and women. And women would often go and, you know, hang out with their friends. Um, so there's one song where, uh, from the middle of the 15th century, where uh, the women here decide, having met accidentally in the street, you know, going about their business, they decide to go where the wine is best. And they make a plan to go two by two so as not to attract attention and be detected by their husbands as leaving, you know, en masse in a group. Once arrived at the tavern, they praise the wine, complain about their marital situations, and then they go home by all by different streets, telling their husbands that they were at church. So, yeah, there was this period of transition and and part of what was causing this transition um, were the teachings of the church, you know, as a patriarchal, this is the Christian church, as a patriarchal organization, um, they had a really strong hand in turning the tide um, in the Middle Ages of women as independent, social, autonomous creatures into less than, um, you know, basically uh, at the mercy of their husbands. Yeah, a lot of times when we talk about any of the moral values that we all kind of hold dear in the Western world, we're going to find the roots of that in the church. And when it comes to biblical history, that's where my research willies get tickled and I get I get really excited, um, having spent a lot of time immersed in that soup in the past. Um the Christians um, in the Christian Bible, there are a lot of verses that get called up in order to castigate or denigrate or to warn against the dangers of gossip. Um, they don't always use the word gossip, and there are, and depending on the translation that you're looking at, you'll see the words whisperer or talebearer or even slanderer. Um, it's really interesting to me as I was going through a lot of these verses in preparation for this, that a lot of them have that kind of feel of don't tell mommy and daddy that still pass, you know, it happens today. So like Proverbs eleven thirteen, which says, whoever gossips gives away secrets, but whoever is trustworthy in spirit can keep a secret, which gives me the creeps. It just gives me the mm. creeps to read that because how often is that being used now to call yeah. that the one who would tell um, is the sinner rather than the one who might have sinned against that person. Um, it's not as common to talk about gossip in the New Testament, but there is some there are some verses about it warning mostly like young widows have to get remarried or else they're going to get bored and they're going to wander from house to house spreading gossip and saying things that they ought not say. And I can imagine that verses like these to this day are used to protect men in power. So it makes it a sin for anyone to reveal the secrets of these men. And so that's how I interpret most of what the Bible says about gossip. Yeah. Yeah. 
and what a you know what how that goes hand in hand with abusers yes you know like don't tell anyone yeah this is going to be our little secret you know and that's just oh creepy yeah it's really creepy so under the influence of you know these patriarchal influences and the church teachings um by the 16, the late 16th century, uh, women's social position had become, uh, had really deteriorated. And so satire, you know, like teasing women and, and portraying women as shrews and that sort of thing in art and in, you know, their version of the New York Times comics strips, you know, things like that. Um, it actually gave way to without exaggeration, it can be called a war on women because especially women of the lower classes. And there were increasing numbers of attacks on women as scolds, as domineering wives. And then of course, into that came the inquisition and witchcraft accusations and the burning of women as witches. Um, And in this change, we see Um, a marked change in the meaning of gossip, which increasingly means a woman engaging in idle talk, or as you mentioned in these Bible quotes, you know, spreading rumors, lying, that kind of thing. So these women started to become scolds and shrews. And it implied that, you know, men couldn't adequately control their households, which was a social shame, a source of social shame. Um, also charging that these scolds and shrews, which, you know, to me sounds like women desperately trying to hold on to their autonomy and their ability to have some say in the course of their own lives. Um they started to be punished by the law. So by the end of the 16th century, she could be severely punished for any demonstration of independence or any criticism she made against her husband. Um, Obedience, as the literature of the time constantly stressed, was a wife's first duty enforced by the church, the law, public opinion, and ultimately by cruel, truly, truly violent punishments. So the scold's bridle Mm. or brank, right? This is a metal headpiece that gets locked onto the head. And there was a piece of metal that went into the woman's mouth and pressed on her tongue so that she was unable to speak. Some of them had spikes on that piece of metal that would pierce the tongue if the wearer tried to speak. And many of them had bells on top of them so that if a woman was walking around in one, it would call attention to her and increase her shame. Some uh, had leashes on them so that their husband could basically parade them around town, showing off that she was being punished for talking. Yeah, it's horrifying. It is horrifying. Yeah. There was also something called the shrew's fiddle. Again, these are these are women's punishments. All of the terms that refer to them are female terms. 
Um, the shrew's fiddle locked the wearer's head in place as well as immobilizing her arms. It was like a mobile set of stocks. And again, you know, she would be paraded around. Um, there's also a tradition in England called the Sharivari. I think I'm pronouncing that right, which was um, also called rough music, a skimmington and carting, where the townspeople would put a woman backwards on a horse or a donkey backwards to indicate that she, you know, had the order of life completely reversed um, by trying to tell her husband what to do. And then they would follow her around clanging pots and pans and throwing insults at her um, while she was forced to, you know, be the center of attention and um, publicly shamed for her transgressions. There's also cucking and ducking stools where a woman was strapped to a stool resembling a toilet and she was first paraded through town on a cart and then she was brought to water and held under the water and sometimes drowned in the process. Uh, this device uh, also was laid, later used for witch trials where they would hold a woman underwater and if she drowned, she was innocent. And if she didn't drown, she was guilty. <laughs> and therefore burned. <laughs> and therefore burned. So kind of, you know, a no-win situation, thanks. Uh, yeah. Um, and these these ceremonies of cucking or ducking were always, you know, big social events. Um, it was like, I don't know, I guess like, um, you know, public feeding Christians to the lions were centuries before. We where do. Everybody. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I would say we love our spectacles of violence and drama and uh, castigation of the evil. Yeah. Yeah, we really do. Plus it, you know, served to, as a reinforcement to every woman of the community, this can happen to you. Mm -hmm. um, in 1615, Samuel Pepys wrote a poem called The Cucking of a Scold, where he describes one of these ceremonies. And it was, you know, huge. It was, there was a parade which involved a hundred archers, a hundred armed men, and apparently 50 parrots. Which I, I don't know. I can only guess that was a representation of a talking woman. The squawking birds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know, directly relates to that term hen party, mm -hmm. which is an insulting term about a group of women talking. Anyway. He describes, uh, so a quote from this, this poem says, then there was the scold herself in a wheelbarrow brought, stripped naked to the smock, as in that case she ought. Neat's tongues about her neck were hung in open show, and thus unto the cucking stool this famous scold did go. So, you know, they had tongue, a necklace of tongues hung around her neck, again, to reinforce this this shameful association with women talking. Um, and this cucking stool was used as late as 2010 in Bermuda, an English, you know, founded colony by a Senator on his wife because she nagged him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. 
really, though, if we think about it, the punishment of women, while a lot less physical, um, continues to this day where women can lose their jobs and they can be shamed on the Internet. I look back to Anita Hill, who dared to testify against Clarence Thomas and was humiliated. The late night talk shows, the news, the gossip around the water coolers at work was all set out there to shame Anita Hill and turn her into the object of ridicule. Um, And Clarence Thomas made the Supreme Court. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. And you know, recently, that whole thing was repeated. Yes, we've seen it over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. The Me Too movement has been a form of passive resistance where women are saying that they will not be shut up. And even that has a lot of backlashes to it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it has not gone away. No. This, this is not just the olden days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in this in this 17th century, 1600s. So women were brought to court. They could be fined for scolding. Priests thundered against women talking in their sermons. Wives were expected to be quiet, obey their husbands without question, and stand in awe of them. Above all, they were instructed, and here's where it really breaks the power, right? They were instructed to make their husbands and their homes the centers of their attentions and not to spend time at the window or the door, right? Stay inside, talk to no one. They were even discouraged from paying too many visits to their own families after marriage. So cut off that familial support and above all from spending time with their female friends. In 1547, a proclamation was issued forbidding women to meet together to babble and talk. So actually a law against women talking to each other and ordering husbands to keep their wives in their houses. Female friendships were one of the targets of witch hunts, right? Because like the McCarthy hearings, Mm. a primary part of the witch, witch trials were forcing women to name other witches. So friends turned in friends, daughters turned in mothers under extreme torture. And thus the word gossip turned from a word of friendship and affection into a word of denigration, ridicule, and danger. And just as a note, the legal crime of being a scold or a shrew was not removed from English and Welsh law until 1967. We were born into a world where it was a crime to talk to your friends. Yes. Yes. Didn't know we were so powerful. I know, right? Simply by talking to one another, we can ruin the world. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, that just that just makes me so sad and angry. It, it, it does me as well. It bothers me that while it may not be laws on the books, we still to this day see examples of it. And we ourselves were raised in a world where we believed the, until you brought this up the first time and I heard your research on it, I still held on to the idea of gossip as a bad thing, as a sin, as, a, um, as something naughty to do. 
and that it shouldn't be done. And it wasn't until I heard you talk about this the first time I realized, no, this is my power. This is my strength. And it's a contribution to society to participate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we first talked about this in Church of the Clitoris, which I've mentioned on this podcast before. And um, a couple of the gals in, in church are Jewish. And, you know, they talked about the idea of the yenta, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that is bad. God, like, don't be a yenta. Whatever you do, don't be a yenta. Don't talk about other people. Um, so there is this this deep connection to gossip. I mean, I was surprised when I saw the research. It, I went after the research because I did, I had this feeling in the back of my head, like why there's something wrong with this, right? Why is talking to other women, which can be such a powerful force, so completely seen by society as a negative thing? And to me, that smacked of programming. So yes, we have uh, been conditioned. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, there is such a thing as bad gossip, right? Yeah, there is such a thing. Um, gossip is actually a social skill, and like most social skills, there are people that are bad at it. <laughs> so, a good gossip is someone that can that that gives trusted reliable information and shares it in a responsible way so pro social gossip with the intention of either informing or helping others a bad gossiper quote unquote is one who shares questionable information like they don't you know if you if you don't really know if it's true or not and yet you choose to pass it on anyway um information to privilege only themselves or shares that information recklessly with no concern for the consequences. So a lot of stuff that happens on the internet is, yeah, would be called bad gossip because people don't verify their sources. They just click share. A lot of memes on a lot of memes on social media are full of bad gossip. Yeah. And dangerous, dangerously bad gossip. Yeah. Um, you know, talking trash, a lot of bad gossip is criticizing someone's appearance Mm. or reinforces negative views like racism, sexism, ableism, homophobia, transphobia, all of that sort of thing. That kind of thing is, is bad. It's bad gossip. It's slander. Um, also gossip can be used to, with as negative peer pressure, right? Like think high school um, used to ostracize people who are otherwise innocent, mean girls. Yeah. You know, this idea of, well, don't talk to her. I don't like her. That kind of thing. Um, Bullying is an example of bad gossip. But again, you know, these bad gossip examples have other words like slander, like bullying, like, racism, you know, lying, we don't need to use the word gossip to describe that because it's really it's not gossip. It's lying. It's lying. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, as we mentioned, social media speeds up communication and therefore bad gossip um, or gossip in general for both good and bad ends. Um, Sort of a, a, a sort of check in is 
if you're being influenced by bad gossip instead of good gossip, if you start making your decisions and judging others' decisions based on just the peer pressure of the group rather than what may be best for you, um, if you're only benefiting someone else with your actions and not the group as a whole or yourself, then your gossip has turned, the gossip has turned toxic and it has become negative peer pressure. Mm -hmm. So um, one article I read gave this sort of ask yourself these questions about whether gossip is bad. Um, and those questions are, would you want someone to say those things about you? So before you repeat something that someone told you, ask yourself, would you want someone to say those things about you? And if it's good gossip, the answer may very well be yes. Um, another question, how would you feel if you caught someone speaking to others about you that way? Would you be motivated to change your behavior or would you just be hurt at cruelty? Do you know if your opinion is accurate? Number one, check your sources, right? Mm -hmm. What is the gossip doing for you right now? Is it is it entertaining you with a friend? Is it, is it bonding you with a group? Is it increasing the knowledge about predators? If, if it's any of those things, it is good gossip, pro-social gossip. Why are you talking about what you're talking about? Just be clear on your motives. Um, and then do you feel more or less safe after having the conversation? Remember that that science study that showed like passing along behavior, um, gossip about bad behavior of others actually made us feel less anxious. Yes. So to wrap this up, are we ready to wrap up? Yes, to my favorite part. <laughs> which is how gossip how, is good. Sorry, I jumped exactly. in. I, I, I no, love this do part. It, do it. Yes. Do you want to take this part? Go for I'll it. Start with this because I, I, you, I will make give credit that you did a lot of the research to put this together. But it is my favorite part because it's so um, liberating and empowering mm. to know that I can talk to my friends and it's a good thing. Um, so I am. I'm going to steal your words here. Um, the, Do it. the demonization of gossip is nothing more than a tool to break women's solidarity. So fuck the patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> and oxytocin is a hormone that is released when we bond socially. You and I right now are releasing oxytocin into our brains and it feels good. And it yes. shows that oxytocin is released higher in a gossip-filled conversation than in a neutral con uh, conversation. And oxytocin can aid in stress release. It can reduce, reduce our blood pressure, and I need that. It can mm. reduce our cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone. That's the one that they all are telling us is making us fat now. Um, right. It can facilitate bonding and closeness, and it serves as a form of entertainment. And we got to admit that's yes. true. <laughs> yes. um, um, actually, um, actually um, 
It also creates closeness and trust. I can trust you more if you're sharing information that is valuable to me. Um, yes. It's it's intimate. It creates an intimacy. Um, it can, as you mentioned earlier, inspire self-improvement efforts. Um, did you hear about Sarah's marathon training program or John's bringing fruit rather than donuts to our company meetings from now on? But even as you mentioned before, some of the, the less complimentary gossip can inspire people to change their behavior. If I hear that Sharon over there is doing something that I know I myself do, I'm probably going to be a little bit more inspired to not do that thing anymore because I don't want anybody talking about me. Um, uh, Work at work gossip can help work groups be more efficient. It helps lower, um, the ranks of people defending themselves from toxic boxes, bosses, and um, word can spread about untrustworthy colleagues, which is actually important to know. This guy's going to steal your work. Be careful about what you say. Be careful about how much you share with them. It can actually promote cooperation between different groups who can bond together by having these kind of little gossip circles. Um, yeah. Pro-social gossip, which is passing along the info that helps to warn others. It has the effect of lowering exploitations. Um, for, um, so if you think of somebody who who's new to town, who's coming in and is maybe ripping people off or getting people to invest in dangerous investments, Go ahead and talk about that. Go to your neighbors, whisper to everybody, go to the, go to the, ah, excuse me, the bar or the, um, wherever everybody's hanging out socially and talk about those things. Um, there are whisper networks that, um, can, information can share and help and protect from predators who thrive yes. on women not being able to talk to other women. And again, yeah. this brings up the Me Too movement, which was the biggest whisper network we've had in centuries. Um, it has the effect of lowering exploitations. I bet a lot more men are being a lot more careful because they know we're not going to keep our mouth shut. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think about, um, I don't know if you ever listen to the CBC, but there's a program on the CBC called Q. And for many, many years, its host was a man named uh, Gian Gomeshi. And, um, and he finally was brought to justice for abusing women. Um, he would go, you know, he would ask every woman out for a date, especially in like the new interns that came into the radio station and um, would say that he was into BDSM, would say he was into kink, but basically what he was into was beating up women. Oh my God. And so, you know, of course, because of the power structures, um, no one said anything publicly for a very long time, but there was a whisper network in place. So the women in the office who had experience this, you know, would, as soon as a a woman intern came in, they would take her aside and say, don't be alone with him. Don't go on a date with him. So it's this kind of talking to each other that protects us from the powerful predators in a patriarchal power structure. It's my daughter and her friends have talked about wanting to set up companion apps for many of the dating apps. And maybe these exist, but um, I'm not aware of them and neither is she. But they would love to be able to kind of put up this guy is a date raper. This guy is a is an abuser. And so that women because when you're out there swiping on a dating app, all you're seeing is the image of himself that he's trying to present 
prevent or present. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. they would love to put together like a little whisper network app where you can look those same guys up and go, no, stay away. You know, danger, Will Robinson. Don't go out with this guy. And I think men would be horrified by such an app. But how many lives could be saved by that kind of whisper network? Yeah. And why are they horrified? Yeah. Right? If you're not behaving they, badly, why do you care? <laughs> why do you care? If you're not afraid that bad behavior is going to be talked about, well, then, you know, maybe support these women. There you go. Um, So other positive uses of gossip, it can help us understand some of the unspoken rules of a professional or social situation. So like if you hear people gossiping that Ralph takes a lot of sick leave and a lot of people are resentful of that, you know that taking a lot of sick leave is not really acceptable in the company that you work in. So it's helping you make sense of your work environment. And it can actually help with problem solving. So by discussing a difficult situation that one of your friends are dealing with, you can figure out a way to offer guidance or support your friend in the bad situation. Um, And also sharing struggles within our social or work setting with somebody who's close to you, they can offer a new perspective, something you hadn't thought about before. Gossip can uh, be driven by uncertainty and fear. It helps us sort out what other people are thinking and what other people are doing as a defense mechanism. It also just helps to get it off your chest, like that study that you showed before where people actually feel better. Um, Engaging in gossip can temper some of your frustrations and some of the other negative emotions you feel. Um, If you find out somebody's behaved in a deviant way, as you said before, it's cathartic. And lastly, you could save a life. Um, One of the major ways of preventing suicide is to talk to the person considering it, talk about their life, talk about what's happening in it. Gossip could save their life. Yeah. Yeah. Isolation is, you know, and loneliness drives people to do so many negative things um, and a lot of them self-destructive in nature. And just having someone to talk to, having someone to gossip with can be the outlet that makes the difference. It saves my life. But maybe not literally, but <laughs> but having you and, and the Church of the Clitoris and these other women groups that I participate in have improved my life so profoundly. I can't yeah. even describe it. Yeah, I mean, I think about what we just went through, this pandemic that we just went through, where all of us were much more isolated than we had been or would have been by choice. And what a profound effect it had on our collective psyche. Yes. You know, we're all walking around with a level of trauma from being isolated because we are communal beings. And you know, one of the reasons why we have come as far as we have with these big brains that we have is because we we talk to one another. Thank you, Zoom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, whatever video conferencing <laughs> software you used. Yeah. It uh, it saved many a life. It did. I think, I think it did. Yeah. So in conclusion, Kimberly Rockwell, Kim Bob the Magnificent. <laughs> Gossip be good. (laughs) Gossip be good. Absolutely. Do not allow people to shame you 
for talking about other people who aren't present as long as you remember to do so in a pro-social way. Yes. And that's that's our takeaway. It's an excellent takeaway. It's it's permission. Exactly. So talk to your friends about this podcast episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't forget to share this gossip about us with your friends. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us on this Being a Bad Martha episode of the 34 Circe Salon Make Matriarchy Great Again podcast. We're going to have more episodes um, in the Being a Bad Martha series coming up and more episodes with our fabulous co-host, Kimberly Rockwell. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.